You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, we'll be continuing our, our gospel book of Philippians, excuse me. Uh, we'll look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And believe me, I see that it's getting cloudy. And once I feel more than one raindrop, I will stop wherever I am in my sermon and we can pick it up online. So we'll do that. Uh, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we praise you. We ask that you would be with us even now. Hide me behind your cross as always, God. Take my little and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Holy Spirit, I need you uh, to cover me even now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So to all my fathers, just wave at me. You don't have to stand up. Happy Father's Day, fathers. Happy Father's Day. Good to see you guys. Give a round of hand for our uh, applause for our fathers. Amen. Yeah, yeah, amen. You know, fatherhood begins with God. It begins with him creating us in his image, in his likeness, and for his glory. And fatherhood is a gift that extends from God the creator to humanity as his children. And it extended from the very beginning of time even until now. I love what one commentator says about fatherhood. It says, uh, God being our father, it says, as Christian believers, we share in a common experience of being the objects of our heavenly father's compassion. This tender and loving care from the father should in turn cause us to be tender and loving towards one another and to serve one another sacrificially as illustrated by the life of Epaphroditus in Philippians 2 and 4. You know, one of my favorite fathers, they quote is this one. It says this. It says, the quality of a father can be seen in the goals, dreams, and aspirations he sets not only for himself, but also for his family. And today, as their spiritual father, we'll witness Paul's goals. We'll, we'll witness Paul's aspirations. We'll witness Paul's dreams for his family, his spiritual family, the church at Philippi. And it starts off quite simple in verse 1. Read there with me if you have your Bibles. He gives us the basis of unity. He gives us a fourfold manifestation for the basis for unity. Verse 1, it says, if then, if there is any encouragement. Notice this word, if. If refers to certainties and not simply possibilities. Another word to translate or because. So since there is an encouragement in Christ or because there is an encouragement of Christ, 
This is a good reminder for uh, Soldier, Church, Soldier Church Carlisle members that remember our identity precedes what? Our function. Our identity precedes our function. And here at the very beginning of the, of the chapter, we see Paul bringing back to that reference of reminding his people not just about what they should do, but he reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of the beauty of unity. He reminds them that they are blood-bought Christians. Last week we talked about this a lot, but he reminds them that they are citizens of heaven. You know, some of the most trying times in our lives, the thing that we need the most is not simply just reprimand or discipline. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our identity. We need to be reminded of our identity in our hardships. Not just what you're supposed to do or not do. Not just what's supposed to who you're supposed to be or not be. We're supposed to be reminded of who we belong to and the beauty and the privilege that therein comes by being a blood-brought son of Jesus. This lifestyle flows of our identity as kingdom citizens. I love what David Paulison says about this in God's grace in your suffering. He says, indwelling sin does not define you, it opposes you. It's an aberration, it's not our identity. Notice what he first calls them to. He says, if there is, or since there is, or because there is encouragement in Christ. This is defined, encouragement in Christ is simply defined as this. It means to come along with someone and help them, to counsel them, to exhort them. This is a good reminder for us that there is encouragement in Christ. Amen? I said there is encouragement in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. In the midst of our sufferings, we find encouragement in our relationship with King Jesus. I love what Deuteronomy 31.8 says about this. It says, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid, nor be discouraged. He says not only if there is an encouragement in Christ, he also says if there is any constellation of love. And this is a reference to the love of Christ that conforms us. It's a good reminder that he is ours and we are his. This image here portrays the image of a father coming close and whispering gentle words of encouragement in the ear of his, child, his or her child. He says not only is there if there's consolation of love, he says if there is fellowship of the spirit. This word fellowship simply means it's a Greek word kononia. It's a Greek word that we get intimate fellowship. It's not just fellowship, but it's the most intimate fellowship that one human can have with another. He says if there is fellowship of the spirit, this refers to partnership of common eternal life provided by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, he says, if there is any affection and compassion. This speaks to tenderness that flows from our union of Christ. It reminds us that Christ has loved us with an amazing tenderness. And he has shown us infinite affection. See, God has extended his deep affection and compassion to every believer. And that reality, that reality of God's affectionate affection and then God's tenderness and his compassion it should result in unity. I love what Francis uh, Chan and Tony Merida says in their book, Exalting Jesus of Philippians. It says this, notice Paul's approach to the Philippians. He is not only warm and pastoral, but he is quick to first mention the blessing of the gospel 
before giving certain exhortations. If all you ever do is tell people what they're supposed to do or what they're supposed to be doing, then eventually they'll get burned out. Remind people of the blessings while giving them the imperatives. Do this for your soul and do this for other Christians. I have to say amen to that quote. Um, I, I, have, I have a similar sentiment, as you guys know, and it's simply that what we just said, identity precedes function. Focus on one's identity and not just what they can do for you or what they're called to do for you. So if we see here the basis for unity in verse 1, look at with me in verse 2 because now we see the command for unity. And Paul simply says it by saying these four words, make my joy complete. And the imperative is clear here. He's saying fulfill my joy. And what Paul wanted, to, wanted the church to be is that he wanted them to be like-minded in order to complete his joy. This is very similar to, to parenthood, isn't it? A parent's well-being, when you have a child, your well-being is tied to the growth and maturity of your kids. It's tied to it. You want your kids to prosper. You want them not just to know what you're telling them. You want to see them actually implement and do the things that you're telling them to do. And Paul, like a father to the Philippian church, he naturally longs for the church to be unified. So he made a simple request. Be like-minded. Be like-minded. And another way he says this is having the same mind. Verse 2 says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way or having the same mind. This word, this Greek word here simply means to think the same way. And it's not, it's not optional, nor is it obscure. You see, a football team is unified not because every player plays the same position. That would be uniformity. If every single team, 11-person team, all had quarterbacks on it. That would not be unity, that would be uniformity. But a football team is unified because they are operating in harmony to reach the same goal line. Different players, same team, one mission. Every player is playing his position with the objective of either helping his team score or stopping the opposing team from scoring. Thus everyone is headed and moving in the same direction. He not only calls us to the same mind, but he calls us to the same love. He said believers are to love others in the body of Christ equally. Not because they are equally attractive, but by showing the same kind of sacrificial loving service to all that was shown to them by Christ. And lastly, he asks that they be united in spirit. This is a beautiful rendering because it simply means one soul. It literally means becoming one soul. And it describes people who are knit together in harmony and having the same desire, passion, and ambition. So the question has to ask this. Why are we to have the same mind? Why are we to have the same love? Why are we to be united in the same spirit or to be one soul? And here's the answer. The answer is because it helps us identify who the real enemy is. It helps us know who we're fighting against. You see, in this world, in this time, the enemy is not simply white Christians. The enemy is not simply black Christians. The enemy is not the police. The enemy is not Republicans. It's not Democrats. The enemy 
as we, as we operate as citizens of heaven, is the enemy is the kingdom of Satan and his imps. It's the true enemy. That is the true enemy. And as even as we look at this tree right here before you, you see different aspects of this tree. You see the leaves at the top. You see the trunk that supports it. And then you, it's the aspect of the tree that you can't see, which are the roots. You see, unless we're unified as a church and unless we are one mind, if we, unless we are of a united spirit, we'll be fighting after the wrong things and we'll always get the wrong results. You see, this tree represents the brokenness of our world. If you look at the leaves, the leaves are the exterior thing. It's the thing that you can touch, the thing that's most, uh, most physical um, as far as actually taking and seeing and, and, and seeing the beauty and the fruit of the tree. That represents sin. We see sin, we see brokenness, and we need to fight against brokenness in our world. God has called us to be the light and salt of the earth, and the world should be better because we live in it and not worse. So recognize the sin of the world as you would the leaves of this tree. But not only do you need to recognize the leaves, you also need to recognize what's supporting this, this, this tree up. It's the trunk. It has a basis. It has a foundation. And in this world, as we look at the riots and things that are happening in this world, if you agree with them or not, our brothers or sisters, our black brothers or sisters are telling us that there's not just sin, but there's a system that is upholding the sin within our world and our country. So we must not just look at the sin, we also must look at the systems that are perpetuating and causing the brokenness that we see and we feel and we, we lament and we actually hate. But not only that. You have the leaves, you have the tree, but you also have the roots. See, the church is the only entity given by God that can actually attack the, the, the root of the kingdom of God where it's supposed to be, which is the kingdom of Satan. Is that who creates systems and who has caused sin? It is the enemy, the true enemy. That is Satan. And we as a body of believers are able to fight and combat the darkness of this world, not because we're powerful, but because our God is powerful and his son who has redeemed us from sin is powerful. Amen? Amen. Be of the same mind. Be of the same love. Be united in the spirit. You see, at Sojourn Church Carlisle, we stand for justice. We stand for peaceful advocacy and the beautiful diversity of all people, and therefore we stand against racism. We are committed to fight for justice, and we're committed to fight against injustice. We're not just fighting against a political party. We're not just fighting against the police. We're fighting against brutality and people who use their authority and their power in the wrong ways, in the wrong means, in the wrong methods. That's what we're against. We're not against the U.S. government. We're against those in power who abuse their authority to undermine, belittle, and subject the poor, the marginalized, the voiceless, and the destitute. I don't want to give terms without providing proper definition to this. So let me be clear on what I mean when I say justice. Justice is simply this. Justice is rendering to every person their rights as image bearers of God. That's what we're about. 
Justice, again, is rendering to every person their rights as an image bearer of God, their creator. And therefore, injustice is this. Injustice is depriving people of their rights as image bearers of God. Why am I so passionate about this? Why do I preach about this? Why do I talk about it? Because gospel maturity includes not only recognizing the Imago Dei in every person, but fighting against worldly systems that intentionally deny one's intrinsic value as an image bearer of God. I want you to be very clear with all of you today that justice is a deeply biblical issue because it originates from the throne of God. Psalm 89, 14 says it this way. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. So our answer is not simply a political strategy. Our answer is not simple, simply a socioeconomic plan. Our answer is not simply a sociological ideology. As we strive for justice, God is honored and we're blessed as his people. God is not and has not, and has not never been silent on the biblical issue of justice and neither should we as his church. Amen. Verses three and four, we see the expression of unity. Look there with me. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, I'm going to talk to all my woke people, all my woke people on Twitter and Instagram. Let me talk to y'all for just one second, a hot second. I love what Pastor T. Roberson, a lead pastor from the Bridge Church in New York City, said about this. I'm quoting him when I say this. He says, the goal of being so-called woke can't be to kill all the people that, who are sleeping. If you're an anti-racist, that's what the language he uses. I use the language of bridge builder. If you're a bridge builder who wants to raise awareness, then your posture has to lean more towards persuasion than punishment. We need a movement of bridge builders, not a mon monument to your wokeness. Now listen, I'm all for being woke. Be woke. Talk. Go out, protest, all those things, but we need to do so in a manner that is both loving and inviting to people that they can join you in the things that you're fighting against and not become an enemy of your own personal agenda. And I'm thankful to the, by the grace of God that honestly, I have not seen that in this church at all. I'm thankful that I've seen people gently and carefully across racial cultures and even conversations to engage in this. So thank you as a church for doing this. And thank you for being an example of what this looks like, should look like in our church. I love what he says here in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit because by definition, servants serve others, not themselves. You see, the Greek word here, selfishness or strife, refers to rivalry or factionalism. Empty conceit literally means empty glory. 
It is the pursuit of personal glory, which is the motivation for self-ambition. It is an empty glory, a glory that doesn't exist. It's a fake glory that is conceded over nothing. And the opposite of empty glory is the person of Jesus. You see, he didn't come with any vain glory. He had all glory. Yet he made himself nothing for our sake. I love how Romans 5, 8 puts it. It says, but God proved his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not only that, but he calls us to a humility of mind. He says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. This word humility refers to, um, it's a term of derision with the idea of being low, shabby, and humble. And it's a good reminder for us as a church that there will never be unity in, in the church apart from people walking in humility alongside one another. You see, a humble person contributes to the unity of God's church. While selfishness and empty, empty uh, conceit brings discord. In God's church. Look with me in part, part B of verse 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Consider yourselves as more important than, than yourselves. Consider others, excuse me, as more important than yourselves. And we have to be clear about what we're not talking about here. What we're not talking about, when Paul says in humility, consider others as more important than yourself, what he's not saying is this. He's not calling you to a laissez-faire mentality. He's not calling you just to look at people and say, I can't agree with you. Or I can't, I can, we can't get along, so I'm just going to leave you alone. I'm just going to let you be and do your thing. I'm going to take my hands off of you. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about a quid pro quo relationship. A quid pro quo relationship is something for something. That I scratch your back and you scratch mine. It's a merit-based love. That if I do something good for you, then you are obligated to do something Good to me in return. It's, it's, that's not what he's talking about. He's about just take what I'm going to give you. I'm going to love you the way that I choose to love you, regardless of your personal preference. Now, I have to admit that I have been the personal target of this. I, I've done this this week with my son. We were able to go out to the outlets. How many people like the outlets? I love the outlets. Take me there if you need to go there. If you want to go there, if you're going there, take me along with you. That's what I should say. Take me along with you. <clears throat> this week I went to the outlet and I got my son some shoes. And growing up, I could never afford Jordans because my mom just, I didn't even know what Jordans were because she didn't even bother letting me know what they were because she couldn't afford them. So I go to the store and I see these Jordans. I mean, they're fresh Jordans. They're Jordans that honestly I would want for myself. I look for myself. I couldn't get them in my size. But I got them for my son. And I was like, son, you got Jordan. These Jordans are sick. They're amazing. Wear them. Have fun in them. Be with them. All this other stuff. And he puts them on, takes the shoes off, puts them on, and he starts walking around. And you know the mall is big. And as we're walking around, he's looking at me, and guess what he says? My feet hurt, Dad. These shoes aren't good. I'm like, boy, you got Jordans on. Come on now. Like, you look cool out here. Come on. Just, just walk with me. We walk a little bit more. And guess what? 
Damn, my feet, they really hurt. I don't care, son. You got Jordans on. I just bought these Jordans. They were on sale. Where's my, where are these Jordans? Where are these Jordans? Actually, they have matching Jordans, so that's even cuter, right? Your kids have matching Jordans. At least for me, it's cute. And I'm, 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 not, I'm, just, I'm not even listening to my sons. I'm not even bothered what he's saying because my loving him is about me. It's not even about him. I bought you these shoes. You need to wear these shoes because they, they make me feel good. I feel good as a dad. Where, where are the shoes that I gave you? Now, some of, part of that is true, but also part of that, some of that, a lot of that is sinful, amen? And a lot of times when we talk about this aspect of, in humility, consider others as more important than yourself, it's not just giving to people what you personally would give, want to give to them. It's not saying to someone, I'm going to love you the way that I choose to love you, regardless of what you think or how you feel or how you want to be loved. I'm just going to give this to you, and I'm just going to see if it lands. No, 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 no. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. This is the way that we should love. Verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So what are we talking about here? This love is I'm going to love you the way that you need to be loved. I'm going to love you the way that you deserve to be loved. And I'm going to love you the way that you have asked me to love you. It's not me opposing my love upon you. It's me learning and understanding you and responding you to you with love, with that knowledge and with that understanding. You see the practice of considering the needs of others flows from an attitude of humility. It flows from it. And true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not pushing yourself down so others can exalt you. It's not you getting on Facebook right now and saying, man, I'm a retro sinner and uh, somebody please encourage me to let me know that I'm not a retro sinner. It's not pushing yourself down so people then can exalt you. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's putting your agenda aside. It's putting your prerogative aside. It's putting your preferences aside, not because your preferences don't matter, but you put those aside so that I can understand you better. And I can learn from you better. And I can hear from you better. You know, this week I just... Uh, I just got my family a dog last week. Notice what I said. I got my dog, my family a dog this week. I didn't, but my family did. My family got a dog, I should say that. Because honestly, I don't really care for dogs. I'm trying to learn to love dogs. You okay over there? Okay, all right. All right. I got my family a dog this week because they wanted a dog. My daughter's been asking me a dog for a dog for 10 years at least. And we got a puppy, so please pray for me. <laughs> but I remember when I first got the dog, he was all happy and jumpy, and I loved him. And, oh, it was so cute. I love my dog. Great, great, great. Today, Sunday, I'm ready to take him back. <laughs> I hope that's natural. I know, I know. I'm ready to take them back. 
I love Bear. I love Bear. I do love his name is Bear. I love Bear. But I'm, I'm kind of ready to. We're not going to get rid of him. Okay, okay, okay. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I say this to say. You know, I love my dog. I enjoyed him because he did everything that I wanted him to do the first week, right? He, he, he did everything I asked him to do. He, 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 he actually went to bath, the bathroom like three or four times by himself the first three times. Like, I'm like, he's already potty trained. I don't need to do nothing. I, I don't need to do anything. But then after the third or fourth time, guess what? He pooped like three times on the carpet. He started chewing up my favorite shoes. And guys, I love my shoes. He started getting into things he shouldn't get into. He started doing things that I just didn't want or agree for him to do. And I, honestly, guys, I'm trying to remember that I love my dog because here's the reality. He wants to be the alpha. He wants to run the house. He wants to be the one in charge. And as my wife says and reminds me often that we have to remind ourselves that we are, he, we have to remind him that we are the alpha in the house. You see, following Jesus is a lot like that. Following Jesus is learning to lay down your alpha mentality. It's learning to lay down your alpha mentality to the one who truly is the alpha and the omega. It is learning how to submit your preferences and your desires and what you deem to be right and how you think things should go and how you demand things to go. It's learning to, to, to put those things to death. So that we can listen and hear more clearly to the one who owns it all. You see, following Jesus is following his example of leaving conversation and arguments about who is right and who is correct and who is worthy of others following them. It is leaving that conversation and wrapping yourself up with a towel and joyfully washing others' feet while they argue about who truly is the greatest. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I love what Tony Evans says about this. He says, this change first begins with the individual. We cannot change the nation if we don't allow God to change our hearts. We have to develop a heart that cares for our fellow man because they are created in the image of God. Not because they look like us or have, have what we have, but because they have the stamp of divine creation on them. And that means that you have the responsibility to reach out to somebody different than you, hear from, their, from that person, and build a relationship with that person. Church, as I close, this is a good reminder for us that selfishness can truly ruin a church, but gentle humility, humility can build it up. We are to lay aside selfishness and treat others with respect and common courtesy, considering others interest as more important than our own links us with Christ who is a true and ultimate example of humility and we'll explain what this means even much next week but as I close hear these words from what we're going to the sermon we're going to preach on next week in Philippians 2 5 through 11 adopt the same attitude that is of Christ Jesus who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death 
on a cross. Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. Thank you for the gift that you've given us to know you as sons and daughters. God, I do pray that you would be with us even now. I pray that you would be with this, uh, this accident even behind us, God, right now. I pray that you will draw near and you provide support and comfort to anyone and everyone who is injured. God, be with even the EMS as they come up and try to provide um, medical attention to, this, to these people and these image bearers of you. We love you and praise you. For you're a good God and King, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle. C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.